It's trapping time! Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Scooby-Doo, where are you? And it would have been mine if it hadn't been to those meddling kids. Gang, we've just been handed our next mystery. Blasted meddling kids. This week's episode, I had the opportunity to chat with picture editor Bruce King. Bruce worked on Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, the special episodes on the 13 Spooky Tales DVD releases, and the films Scooby-Doo Stage Fright and Scooby-Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery. Personally, I love editing, so I'm super excited for this episode, and I hope you guys enjoy the behind-the-scenes look that Bruce gives into the editing process. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Of course. So I typically start off with uh, three questions of Scooby trivia, if you're up for it. All right. Hit me. Question one. uh, What is the name of the ghost slash villain in Scooby-Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery? Oh, isn't that? That's the, the witch. I think it's just the witch, right? The Crimson Witch. Crimson Witch. That's right. Crimson Witch, but they keep the whole movie. They I don't think they ever referred to her as that. They just they they say the witch, the witch. That was I think that was on because I posted it to my Facebook. That was on like I think last Saturday. I was like flicking through and it was on like Boomerang or something, and I was like I remember this. <laughs> that movie was fun. And question two, uh, which actor who is best known for playing a certain superhero? provided the voice for Daphne's Uncle Sandy in Scooby-Doo the Beach Beastie. Oh, dang. Oh, geez, I don't even know. (laughs) It was Adam West. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, that's right, he was in that. Okay. Yeah, that was one, those those little, those little ones we did in such a short period of time while we were doing Mystery Incorporated. So they just kind of got swept through. There was the, the ghastly goals and the scarecrow and the mecha menace I'm looking here. And then there was another one, the Christmas one. Yeah, definitely. Ha- Haunted Holidays, I think it's called. Yeah, those, those are all we did while we are doing, and it was crazy. So those sort, of, <laughs> those sort of went through as Mr. Incorporated episodes sort of in my brain. So. Fair enough. Yeah, I could see that. All right, well, we're zero out of two, so maybe I can get this one. And last question for the trivia. Uh, True or false, Mystery Incorporated was the first Scooby-Doo television series where Matthew Lillard took on the voice of Shaggy. Uh, The first series, yes. He he did a bunch of movies before that. That is correct, yeah. It was the first series. Yeah, because he did, uh, I think his first appearance as Shaggy was... um, was it Camp Scare? 
Um, I think maybe the magician. Oh, one. oh yeah, yeah, the magician one what was that abracadabra do. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was Camp Stare, Scare, and then that was one. Yeah, and I worked on Phanosaur. Okay. I did the, I did the animatic for for the Revenge of the Phanosaur or whatever it is. Or they're always I, they're always called something else when they come out. Oh, really? And and they're you know because I think it was Scooby Doo Kiss when we were or Meets Kiss or something, and then they name it because home video gets it, and then they name it like the name that they think is going to look the best on the box on the shelf okay. so they'll, they'll always change the the thing like mecha i think scooby-doo versus or was like scooby-doo in the mecha mud or something i don't know it, they're all called different things a couple of things i'm working on now I've, they changed the names already so oh wow yeah i was wondering how that worked actually because it, there's always like a different name from production to yeah, yeah. being on the shelf for sure. Yeah, because well, we have to have to name it something while we're working on it, so it ends up with whatever that maybe the script called it or something like that. But yeah, but then they do like you know marketing and stuff, and they're like, oh, okay, I, we should really call it this because it'll look good with the lettering or something. Yeah, that makes sense. So to start off the general questions here, what's your relationship to Scooby Doo? Did you grow up watching it all? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I grew up during the '70s, and it was on every Saturday morning, and I watched it. You know, the original series when it was. I it may have been a repeats by then, but, but yeah, every Saturday morning was you know, all that stuff. Scooby Doo and Super Friends, and it was a big part of my growing up. And do you have a favorite personal memory related to Scooby-Doo, whether that was before working on it or after you started working on it? Um, well, I don't know. I just, I just like the show because I like the, the, um, you know, the finding out the, the villain at the end. I always, I always tell that to my wife because, you know, the, our kids would maybe be watching it and she'd say, oh, that's scary. Turn it off. And I'll be like, well, if you let them watch till the end, they'll pull the mask off and then instantly not scary. <laughs> so you know, now, you know, you just found out it was the, the groundskeeper or something like that. So now it's not scary anymore because it's not a monster. It's just a person in a mask. Definitely. Uh, and more generally, how did you come to work in animation? Oh, I, um, I spent the nineties working on music videos and infomercials and, things like that. And I submitted an application for at uh, Sony and they just so happened to be in the, in the animation division. They, they were looking for someone that knew Avid and After Effects. And I, I guess was in their system. And when they typed up, typed in both those software packages, my name popped up first. Because back in you know 1998 or whatever, After Effects wasn't as prevalent as, as it is today. And then I stuck, uh, went to work at uh, Sony Pictures Children's Television, I think it was called at that time, as an assistant editor. Was working in animation something that you had always wanted to do or had pictured yourself doing? I, I had no idea it was a separate thing or whatever. I just kind of... You know, because I, when I went to college and stuff like that, I was, I had no idea that there was 
such a thing as animation editing and it was if it was a different thing at all you don't even think about it and i just kind of stumbled into it when i applied for when they called me about that job and i showed up and they were like it's animation and i was like all right it's abids let's go so you know i was that was good and i've been animating and you know editing animation ever since and what sparked your interest in editing in the first place um well it's kind of a weird tale because i started in um i started when i switched to you know not community college i had to pick a major and i was uh i picked psychology because i didn't really know about all the majors and then after the first semester i was looking through the catalog and i was like and i remember calling my parents and saying there's like a making television major i'm totally doing that so i switched to the radio television film department of the communications division and then yeah and then i got the you know the bachelor's in that and then uh i sort of gravitated towards the editing stuff because the other stuff wasn't as fun the the production stuff like hooking up lights and doing the cameras and stuff like that that wasn't as fun as just doing the editing part and what was the first job that you got in editing in editing oh i answered a, a ad in i think it was in los angeles times because there wasn't internet back then <laughs> and and it said video industry jobs and i went and applied and it was a video equipment rental house that um we rented out you know big giant cameras that they rented to film the news and commercials and music videos and stuff like that and uh the guy that owned the business he wanted to expand into post-production because you know kind of he could use some of the same equipment you know he could rent out the things when he wasn't using them in the boat you know and sort of merge the businesses and i helped uh build the, the edit bay that they put in and then but i was operations manager and i was kind of involved in booking the, the editors that did that came in but since i had helped build the room i kind of knew how all the equipment worked so sometimes if an editor was late or didn't show up i would end up filling in so i gradually just ended up switching into being just the in-house editor and then they hired someone else to do my old job. Um, and when it comes to animation specifically, can you just describe what the editor's role is? Um, um, for animation, it's there's really two parts to it. There's the storytelling part, which really happens in the animatic stage. There's, uh, you know, you because you're basically taking the dialogue and the storyboards and then but the dialogue the dialogue is recorded but you could always record like temp dialogue if you kind of want to change the the gist of a line or add a new part or a new section or something like that so the animation part you're really kind of working with the director and the producer or whoever you know the writer whoever kind of comes in and you and you really have a, a a voice in in crafting the story but when it comes back from overseas as completed animation, you're kind of locked into what you got. You can um, 
you know, you, you can pace it up and make things faster, make things, you know, you know, make things slower and, and change the order of shots and maybe, you know, like, oh, we don't like this shot. So we can, you, you can call it on layers and then maybe you can use the background from background from a shot later and then stick the character on that and kind of change things like that. But there's not, you don't have, you know, different cameras. Like, you know, when they shoot movies, they shoot it from a bunch of different angles. And, and so the editor can cut to this and then cut to that and then cut to this and then cut to that. We can't really do that because it's kind of, you got the footage is what you got. You kind of don't have much more than you than you need to end up with. You can reuse established shots or, you know, may, maybe someone does an eyebrow up or something like that. You could use that later or something like that. But it's kind of not, it's more, I don't know, graphic arts and, uh, you know, assembling at that point than editing. There, there is, you know, there is some editing you can, you know, make things longer between when people are talking or shorter or things like that, but it's not as much, you know, you don't have as much to do with story at that point. And kind of on that note, uh, what are some of the differences between editing for animation and editing for live action? Well, that's kind of, that's kind of what it is in live action. They've shot, you know, they've shot tons of coverage and, you know, scenes from all these different angles and stuff like that. So you can cut, to the you know close up or to like a wide shot or medium shot and there's all the different shots that the the director has filmed you know sometimes they film the same scene you know 20 times from 20 different places so you can choose from all that but on on animation you have a shot of fred saying you know trap in time and that's like the only shot that they you know that's the only shot you have you know it's like you can't pick a different you know a close-up or a wide shot or something like that that decision was made back when you're doing animatics like do we want a close-up here or a wide shot here or something like that this may be a super specific question because i'm a sure. bit of an editing nerd myself but um okay. So when you have um, like an actual animated shot, is it possible to like kind of pull in or pull out or are you just stuck with what you have? Uh, we can, there's different ways you can, if we need a, we can go in a little bit because, you know, we work in 1080, you know, HD. So I'm comfortable going in like 10%, like maybe blowing it up like 10%. But you always have the option. There's a thing that's called a creative that you can call overseas, and most of the animation is done in um, uh, like Toon Boom or whatever you know with these animations. And that stuff is all vector based. That makes sense. It's a good, so you can blow up on things and you don't really lose that much resolution. So you can call a creative and say. Can we get this shot back, but can we get it, you know, wider or can we get it closer to the thing? And then we can send like a screen grab of like, this is how we want it. This is the fielding we want. Can you resend the scene with this? But we have to, you know, you have to pay a certain amount, you know, depending on like what's involved. If it's just reframing it, it's, it's a certain fee. But if you want to, you know, change some of the animation, it's like, it's a totally different set of numbers. But mo most shows have, you know, budgeted for creatives 
and you can do a certain amount of shots per show, you know, have overseas fix them. Okay. And so um, in the role as editor, when do you come in on the project? Are you involved right from the get-go to kind of decide like what shots you might need when you're at that stage? Now, they usually, after it's written, then it gets given to the, the director and then the director hands it out to storyboard artists and then they start drawing all the storyboards. And then if you're doing the animatics, that's after the storyboards come back, that's when you get involved. But that's when I get involved is, is the, the storyboards come and then we put the, the, you know, the, the dialogue to the panels and decide, oh, okay, we're going to cut to him at this point and him at that point. And then we, you know, and then we could do things like zooming in and zooming out and change the, the uh, thing. And we've, I've recently switched to doing the animatics in uh, Storyboard Pro, which is the software that they're using to do the, the storyboards. So I can, since I'm in that software, I have a lot more flexibility of going to other panels and taking heads off characters and sticking them on other on character, you know, the same character in another scene or zooming way out, zooming way in, changing the pan and stuff like that. I kind of lost my track of, but yeah, that's when it's, it's, it's after the board's already sort of drawn that the animatic editor gets time to, you know, work with it and you either work with you know you either fix what you got or sometimes the director has to go through and maybe reboard a scene or change the perspective of a scene if he doesn't like what the what you know what the board artists have done typically would you be doing both the animatic editing and the editing once the uh once the animation comes back or does that depend on the project it depends on the products the project sometimes they have but i've been I, I've done most of my own animatics for a long time. Uh, Mystery Incorporated, I did the second season because there was no animatic editor on the first season. They just did it the old-fashioned way. They boarded it and then sent it to the, the timing directors, and they figured out all the timings of things. And then when the season ended, then... Uh, I didn't have anything to do, but they didn't want to lose me. So they had me do animatics for the, for the gap. And then when the, the pictures started coming back from overseas, they liked the way it was going so much that they just kept me doing the animatics while I was doing the series. And it kind of worked out because it was all the same directors and the same producers and the same line producers and everything. So it was easy to coordinate. Okay. And all the all the things I'm working on right now, I did the, well. Two of the things I'm working on, somebody else did the animatics, and then I'm doing it. I'm finishing an animatic for another for the for something that's coming back next year. And the movie I'm working on right now, I did the animatic for back. That's probably like February or something. I don't even remember. <laughs> okay. Because they because they go away and they come back like eight months later or something like that. Oh and I was like, oh, that show. Wow. I remember that. <laughs> and roughly how long would it take you to edit an animatic? Um, well, it's, uh, uh, let's see. It's usually done in phases. Like I'll take a pass at it 
and then so that'll maybe like take like a day i'm talking about like a half hour show okay. so you know like a movie you kind of do a movie like three half hour shows they'll do act a b and c so i'll take i'll take a pass at it and then um and then the director will come and we'll work on it. And it depends on how the director, if they like what was done or if they're, you know, really, really nitpicky or something like that, that might take two days, maybe a day, depending how much they like what they saw. And then it sort of goes away and they do their changes on it for, I don't know, a week or something like that. And then they bring back all, you know, bring it back to, cause we have to show the producer and then we show them you know the edit we did with all of his fixes or the, the the director's fixes and then um then we show it to the producer and if the producer has any fixes then it goes away again for a few days and then then at that point it's pretty much locked and then i have to do the the outputs for the for overseas and to track and stuff like that because i have to do an output of um the audio with all the different audio channels and that gets sent to uh, the track readers, and they go through frame by frame by frame and put what mouth code is on what frame. And overseas uses that to do all the mouth assignments, like whether whether they have an open mouth or a closed mouth, or a, or there's there's different um, names for all the different shapes. The you know like the F mouth and the the O mouth and the screaming mouth and whatever those are all given like assignments by the by the track reader and then i also do outputs that have foot and frame counters on it that go to the timers because the timers are the ones that transfer what we've done the timing wise to they're called the sheets and that's kind of you know fred's arm up three frames fred's front arm down five frames you know he's doing the f mouth and then he walks to the corner and you know it's like there's all the there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these timing sheets they're called and it's basically what gets sent overseas and that's what they use to do all the timing how fast people walk how you know how quick their arm goes up and down and all that stuff that's all spelled out in sheets and they just animate to these sheets that have all the timing on it Switching gears a bit to when you have the animation back, um, okay. are you mostly just assembling or are there things that you might need to add, like, say, in After Effects or? Oh, yeah, yeah. We do a lot of, like, a lot of the shows I work on, we'll, when the anim animation gets back, we'll, you know, we'll do, uh, I'll do an edit pass on it and I'll tighten things up, maybe speed, speed things up here or there, or spread things out. But yeah, sometimes, like, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, it's coming out, I think, actually, I think it just came out. The, um, it's called Superman Man of Tomorrow. I did that, and, you know, all all the I-beam stuff came back looking terrible. So we got had to get layers on all those shots, and they had to get sent to the After Effects department. And they had to, you know, make the glow better. And there's, yeah, every, every show has kind of got a something that has to get done and then we'll get layers for stuff that i have to do too sometimes they're like oh that character shouldn't be in that shot and i'll delete that character or oh he needs to walk in sooner or later before she says something or something and then i'll use the layers to 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 retime shots that way 
because when you do the initial edit, you just do, you know, depending on the shot, you could do like horrible mats and just to get the timings right. And then depending how the shot is, you, you, you could use, you use the layers to fix what happens within the shot, the timing. And what are some of the things that you would maybe fix on your own and other things that would be sent to like a completely different department? Like, do you do color and things like that or? Well, the color, the color at the, at the end, we, uh, it gets sent to, we have Quantel systems and there's a colorist that actually does the final colors. Um, yeah. So the, the, there's the colorist that happens at the end and then it's kind of, um, I do a lot of effects by by myself as I'll, I'll do After Effects. So I do a lot of effects either in After Effects or in Premiere with the layers, like, you know, timing things or doing this, thing, or making characters bigger or blurring them if they're in the foreground so it looks like there's more depth or, you know, creating a parallax during a during like a long pan or something like that. But then the things that are the, the, the super time-consuming stuff we usually send, like, you know, if there's if they want if they want to tweak out, you know, make the fire look more hot or add sparklies to something or do this, that and the other thing. It's always, you know, it, we send it. There's a whole department of After Effects artists that it gets sent to and they they use the layers and soup it up. But some but there's sometimes there's, you know, they'll do like a shot and then they'll give me the recipe and then I can do it over and over again because I'm on, I'm overhead for the show and they get paid by the hour. They charge by the hour to the show, so they're way more expensive. And I kind of just, you know, they just say, oh, okay, we'll give Bruce like two hours to do this and it kind of gets washed, in, you know, with the, with the show, you know, the regular budget of the show, so... Sometimes they'll give me the After Effects project of one shot, and then I use that recipe to duplicate, you know, 60 other shots. That's what happened with, um, there's that Mystery Incorporated episode with the two uh, fighting wizard guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. We There was like 76 or something shots, and we had spent way too much money. There's a, um, there was like that Hex Girls episode. Yes, yeah. The the first one where they're playing that rock concert and we kind of broke the bank on After Effects shots on that show and not on that show. So from then on we were given like a mandate of how many shots were allowed to go to the After Effects department. We could, we had a certain amount. I forgot how many it was, but the Wizards show, the the lightning all came back sort of Dragon Ball Z looking. Okay. So the 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 producer or director, I don't know what he was supervising. He changed titles halfway through the show. So you talk to him, Vic. He wanted it to look more organic. So the After Effects artist came up with a formula with blurs and offsets and this, that, and the other thing that I replicated like 78 more times for all the shots in the show. Awesome. And is uh, is Adobe the main standard that you're working on all the time, or do you use Avid too? Uh, I haven't used Avid. Um, I think uh, Sony was all Avid, and then we switched to Final Cut Pro for when I worked on Spider-Man. And then when I started at Warner, it was Avid. 
and the first i think i think the first show that was done in final cut pro of mystery incorporated was the i think it was the uh was it it was like a, a prom one with the scary girl i forgot what that was that was the i forgot what yeah. it was called the she alice like, may one yeah alice may that was it that was the first show that was done in final cut the other ones were all done in, in avid before because we they had me in a satellite office with the with the dialogue editors and then stuff happened that we had to move to the lot or to the to the ranch the warner ranch and the avid systems were rentals that all went away with the other facility so we had to basically build a department so they decided to go with final cut instead of avid because it was because it was way cheaper okay fair enough and do you have a preference on what program to work on at all i'm really liking premiere now we switched to premiere god it's got to be six seven years ago now we used final cut pro 7 like for a long time but then they had to upgrade our our um storage servers and they weren't compatible with the os that we were that we had to run because of final cut so when we upgraded so we had to upgrade the os which made us have to and everyone had a had a choice uh so some shows are working on avid now because some of the you know some of the editors they still like the app but i i can't stand avid i was like you can tear avid out of my cold dead hand for the first like 10 years and then when when uh sony switched to final cut pro they sent me and the other editor at the time to take classes and they were done by the there was a woman that wrote a book called final cut for avid editors so she she really was helpful in transitioning us and then once i was switched over to final cut it was like flying you know as far as speed and then i had to go back to avid when i went to warner and it was like walking in cement shoes because i couldn't do you know i couldn't edit with both hands at the same time you know because usually i could be doing this and this and this and this and this and this and avid is back to you know their sort of is a lot it's a lot older feeling i know they've changed things since then and i've kind of used it but i really have been mostly premiere i i know how to use uh the final cut pro x because i use that i've used that on some things since but yeah i just i'm not a big avid fan fair enough um and uh moving to talk a little bit more about scooby specifically uh how did you come to work on scooby-doo in the first place well i uh i worked with vic uh vic cook on uh uh spectacular spider-man over at warner brothers and uh and then that ended and everyone went all different directions and i worked at a couple other studios in the interim while i guess he was working on you know pre-production on scooby and then uh they had an editor that the editor that did abracadabra do 
I, I think was supposed to do Mystery Incorporated, but she ended up getting a job at Disney because she didn't know about Mystery Incorporated. Oh, okay. So the line producer, which I also worked on Spectacular Spider-Man, he called me in and I interviewed with uh, him and the head people at, at Warner and they brought me in. And Mr. Incorporated wasn't starting yet, but uh, they wanted me to do Scoop, the, the Revenge of the Phanosaur, I think it ended up being called. And I worked on that uh, first. Oh, Legend of the Phanosaur. That's what it's called. And so I did the animatic for that, and then that segued straight into working on the Mystery Incorporated. So it was like it was like a kind of a homecoming thing, thing because you know there's a lot of people that have worked on Spectacular Spider-Man. Definitely. And then did you just kind of do a bunch of Scooby projects, like one after the other, right after that? Yeah, yeah. When I was when I was working on that, yeah, it was like it was like boom, boom, boom. Like it was like Fanosaur and it was Mystery Incorporated. Then it was see, I'm looking here, and it was uh spooky games and then you know and then there's the scarecrow and the mecha mutt and the and then stage fright we did a mixed in there the scooby-doo stage fright with the wayne brady i think he was the host of the have you ever seen that one yes yeah yeah that one's really good i really like that one and then ghastly ghastly goals oh there's a fun story about ghastly goals did you see that one yes yep with the soccer stuff that yeah. one um that one was so fun because I, uh, when we were doing the animatic for that, uh, Vic didn't like the way, because uh, the Danny Trio was the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Dan Danny Trio played like he was like the security guard that ended up being the the monster. Oh right, right, right. And yeah. and, and and he, and he did. They didn't like the way he said, you know. Um, uh, you know, during the initial recording, he, I think he said, and then I saw the formula and I thought I would be rich and I decided to steal it and blah, blah, blah. They didn't like the way he said it. So I did the temp of it. And then when at the end, when all the production was done, they always go back and do it's called ADR. And that's where they record all the grunts and the groans and the this. Uh, and if they have any dialogue that was temped or needs to be changed or something like that, uh, they always they'll they'll record that two picture afterwards so they can use it in the mix, and that one I was I just happened to be there on the day when they were doing the ADR and Danny Trio came in so we, they decided to do the and he they needed him to do that line and he did it the same way as he had initially done it so they were like no no can you do it like the temp here so they played the temp for him so then he was like he listened to it he's like oh, okay play that again. And then he like, okay, oh, I think I got it. And he did it. So so what's in the show is me imitating him and he's imitating me imitating him. It was really funny. So he was like, so he was listening to my, like, and he's like imitating me doing my him imitation. It was really funny. That is so cool. So then, yeah. So yeah, that they worked on. Then I worked on the beast, Beach Beastie, which... You embarrassed me later because earlier because I didn't know the star. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, uh, I think that was it. And then the rock and roll mystery. That was, I think that was the last Scooby thing I worked on. Oh, besides, there's one that I did the animatic for back in whatever, but that one's not released yet. So, 
I decided, okay. yeah, there was an animatic I worked on back in like when this pandemic thing first started. It was the first thing I did at home. But yeah, Rock and Roll Mystery was super fun because I was, you know, because I'm, like I said earlier, I'm like a child of the 70s. So I was huge Kiss Alive 2, like posters and all this stuff. And the, the, the director producer, uh, Tony Cervoni, he was like an even bigger fan than me because he was like slightly older. So he was slightly older back when they were huge. And he, and that show is just riddled with Easter eggs of Scoop, of Kiss from <laughs> all the names of the characters. You know, they're all called like, uh, uh, such and such strutter and then the the uh, thing and then there's the rock of Casteria is the black diamond from one of their songs and then and then when they're looking through the book there's like a book of the history of Casteria there's like all the symbols that even include the symbols of the, the from the face makeup of character of of ex members and stuff like that and that and that it had the uh gigantic cast too because there was you know um uh what was it the girl that plays laverne and laverne and shirley she was she was in it oh yeah penny marshall and gary marshall and then you know all the members of kiss were there and then and you know polly was it polly perrette she was the the witch and then uh uh was it jay and silent bob they were the 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 very the teaser at the beginning before the main title they were the the workers who was it uh was it kevin smith and uh i forget what the other the other guy's name oh jason muse the jay and silent bob guys awesome they were the they were the they were the, the first people you see in the movie and then uh the 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 big the big monster guy at the end the destroyer that's uh, that's hootie and the blowfish guy darius rucker he played he played that so go, going with the whole rock theme with everybody definitely um and can you just maybe speak broadly to what a day at work on scooby might have been like um i don't know i just you know i would it was usually especially on mr incorporated i would be working on five shows at one time and all in various states they would either be on their way out or on their way in or you know or i'd be cutting in retakes so it was uh, frantic because <laughs> we, I think we mixed a show every week when we were, you know, for each season. So it was like, you're constantly, this is like this confair belt of shows and you're getting them all confused in your brain because they're all the same five characters with just different monsters. <laughs> but no, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great job. I really, I really enjoy it. I've been doing I've been editing animation for like 21 years now, I think. So yeah, it's it's really it's been really good. I've been I've been very very fortunate, especially now when there's so many people in this industry that are like laid off and don't have jobs and stuff like that, because they have to go and, you know, be with a bunch of people and set up lights or serve food or do makeup or whatever, and they can't do that because of what's going on now, and warner brothers animation we were fortunate you know tuesday we were i was in my office building in burbank and then wednesday i was at home and it's been seven months and it was cool because they were just they sent us home with our computers and they said you know it's all set up just plug into your internet and there's a session tomorrow at noon awesome 
Yeah, it's, it's been really great. Like even when they have to re record uh, ADR for like the stars and stuff, they've been sending microphone and sound baffle packets and stuff, you know, from Amazon to the star's house. And then they stand in a closet and go, gee, Scooby, I don't know what to do, you know, and then, and then the, the, it's all recorded on the computer and then it gets, you know, emailed to the sound department and they, they stick it in the show and it's, it's really neat. And then it, even the, the, the movie I just, we just, I just finished with Bruce Tim, the um, one that's coming out next year, the Batman, uh, Spirit of the Dragon, I think it's called. Okay. Something of the Dragon. Yeah, that one changed too because it was called Batman Martial Arts the entire time I worked on it. But I think it, <laughs> oh, Soul of the Dragon, Batman Soul of the Dragon. They just announced it during um, uh, DC Fandom, so that's why I could talk about it. But uh, that one, that one was we did the animatic when we were in Burbank, but the all post was done here. The the mixing was done with the earphones in everyone's houses. The editing was done here at mine, and then I broadcast it to them, and they. We, you know, made all the decisions and then even the online was done the online editor has his system hooked up and he has a viewing system that we all can log on and make notes and he can change stuff on the fly while we're watching. And then, yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating since it's all digital. It's just, I guess no one has to be where they want to be, where they need to be anymore. Yeah, definitely. And can you just elaborate on what uh, the online editor does again? Oh, 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 oh. Well, um, it depends on the show, but it's mostly just um, I give him the final picture, and then we have uh, sessions where we go in and um, uh, say, oh, well, can, can you know they're in a, a in a jail here or in like in a sewer? So can we? you know, maybe bring the blacks in from the sides to make it look more claustrophobic or they're in the desert. Can you, you know, you know, sort of pull down the colors so it looks more warm or hot or, you know, and, and he does, it's basically just, uh, it's, it's the job is usually called a colorist, I think, in like, in like, you know, feature movies and stuff. So yeah, he'll go through and then, and then he can, he can do things like put, um, I, I, there's been uh, shows I've, I've seen him do where they're in like a room with like a fire burning and he'll put like a flicker on it or something. So it looks like, you know, in the highlights. So it looks like the fire is lighting up all the walls and stuff. And it's easier to do that at the end. Cause if you do that, like during the animation, when you cut to cut to cut the flicker will sometimes it's, you know, cut from a bright thing to a dark thing. And it looks like a, a, a mistake. Definitely. Because of, because of its flickering, you know, and all of a sudden it's bright, and now it's dark, it's bright, and now it's dark. So then it's easier, it's better to do it at the end, so you can do it as, like, one big piece. Okay, yeah, so, for sure. So he does that, yeah. And then, you know, it's basically he sweetens it, he tries to center your focus to the people talking and try to, you know, so you aren't looking past them at the, the buildings or something like that. They try, he tries to bring the sort of viewing your eyes to the what, what's important. Um, and how much of a role would you say that the editor gets to play in developing the style of the projects that you work on? Like maybe with Mystery Incorporated, for example. 
style you mean like the the this is like zero basically because all the um the the directors and the producers they're the ones with the the background painters and then decide what the background's going to look like and the character designers they decide what the character is going to look like and then the color the color department they figure out you know how to you know what what color the character is going to be and what color their clothes are going to be and stuff that's all sort of figured out the editor doesn't really have any say at all in like how the the look of the show is you can afterwards you can you know sort of tweak uh, with layers and stuff tweak things or maybe i don't know what you know add colors to things or something like that but that's really you don't really have any voice in sort of that the the artistic side of you know the still art or whatever it's called before it gets animated if that makes any sense is it was that basically you're you're asking or yeah i was thinking like even like in tone too like um like can you decide like what kind of maybe an effect you would want to add like I don't know, can you add, like, a smoke-type effect to, like, make things kind of easier, like, things like that? Oh, well, there was, like, um, I think in Mystery Incorporated, there was a lot of shots that I added. um, I think there was the, I think that there was a show with the, the, the truck, the, um, semi. I remember watching that when my son was watching it, and I remember there was, like, uh this fog that they were like walking through before they stumbled upon the cave with all the doorknobs and then there was another show that um where they were in the sort of the it was like a poisoned forest or whatever with all the avocados that crawled around and stuff and i think i used the exact same smoke but colored a green Okay. Because it, it needed to look like toxic green smoke. And then I think the Graveyard Ghoul, I think I remember, did a bunch of fog for that, too. Uh, but yeah, the, doing things like that, yeah. And then when they walk into the, with all the doorknobs, I made all the sparkles and all the doorknobs and stuff like that. So if you do things, like that's, that's part of the effect stuff that kind of gets done throughout the, the process of the thing. Because I'll usually, if it's if it's something that I can take care of, I usually take care of it and don't send it off to the After Effects people. Okay, awesome. I just send the hard stuff to them. <laughs> That's the way to <laughs> like do if it. I, like if I, oh my God, it's going to take hours. Let's send it to them. Because <laughs> that, that's all they do. I got to edit four other shows and cut in retakes. Definitely. Uh, what's a timeline for getting an episode done for like Mystery Incorporated, for example? Um, well, usually uh, we already talked about the animatic part. It'll probably take you know, uh, two three weeks, I guess, to do the to do from the beginning of animatic to locked picture sending out, and then once the once the locked animatic gets output, then it gets sent overseas. And then it's probably about the same when it comes back. Uh, 
but they could they but they come back like one show will come back every you know depends on the show like two week every two weeks or something like that so you kind of you'll get your pass and then you do the edit with the director or the producer and then you call the retakes and then i think they usually give them two two weeks to do the first set of retakes because it's always a lot like like it's more than the other and retakes are when we go through and we basically watch the show with a fine-tooth comb and go oh is you know, his eye is wrong in this frame or like when he lifts his hand up, it goes in front of her face instead of behind her face or just things like that, like just errors. And then we'll also call the creatives like I was talking about earlier where we modify shots. So that would be like two weeks. And then when that comes back, I have to cut them in really quick because we have to look at those, the, those, the take twos that are called and then call take threes if there's any that are still wrong and then we only give them a few days that time because it's not as many and then and then usually before we start you know checking in retakes it's it's locked and then you know so the timing isn't going to change for the rest so i've already done outputs that are sent to the the music people the sound effects people and the the dialogue editors that are going to do the what's called the, the ADR where they're going to figure out, you know, because they're going to record all the grunts and hits and stuff like that and new dialogue. And then once all the retakes are in, then I get the show all sort of put together and send it to the online. And then the FX people send their stuff to the online, the After Effects people. And the mix is usually done the day before the online and then the mix gets sent to the online and then the, the online editor's job is to kind of put you know the music with the picture and play it because he's got the you know the room with the big giant 80 inch monitor and the dolby surround and the reclining chairs with the movie theater lighting and stuff so we all kick back and watch the show at the end and cross our fingers that we didn't miss anything along the way <laughs> Fair enough. Because, you know, it's inevitable where, since, you know, the TV in my room is only, is like, I think it's 50 inches, but the one in the online bay is 80. So something that was really small and not so noticeable on in my office is now two feet big. So, so we'll see that during the online and we'll call it an emergency, get a retake the next day to stick it in before we have to send it off to, to the, you know, to the distribution and stuff. Um, so would you have, um, like a project with everything in it, like with music and stuff, or does the, like you mentioned, the music would, final music mix would go to the online editor, but. I don't, I don't see anything until it's the final online. I don't see the music or I don't hear any of the new additional dialogue they recorded. Okay. I, I sit there and that, that's the fun part because I get to watch it now with the music and with the, the, you know, the extra and the new records and the, all the stuff and then the, the color corrected picture and stuff and it's that's the, that's like the fun part it's like at the end you get you know because it's you know you've already seen it 30 times so now you have to watch it one last time but it's all pretty definitely awesome, awesome. Yeah. um and you mentioned uh when you're working on a movie it's done more so in like different acts but are there any other differences between editing a tv episode and a movie um uh, well it's usually when you're doing like a direct-to-video movie or whatever you usually have a bigger budget so you can 
you can hire better animation studios and be able to do more creatives like fixing things like that really bug you you know that you want to retime some scenes sometimes in in tv things you kind of like well it is what it is you can either put up with it or cut it if there's a possible way of just like getting rid of that shot and a lot of times to just do that you'll be like well it's we're not it it's really ugly and it's better that no one sees that <laughs> so yeah that's that's one of the bigger bigger you know the bigger thing and you have more time usually with movies you can you know you have longer times to cut in things or longer times to because you aren't you know because the thing i'm working on right now i don't think it mixes until mixes until like the middle of october but if i was working on scooby the thing i was working on right now would be mixing you know friday so that that's not a big but you know it's long it's longer so you're, you know you're doing three things so definitely and if you do end up cutting a shot do you have to make up for that time somehow or are you able to just kind of cut that right out oh uh, yeah well usually we ship like 2200 feet which i don't think i should know but i think it i think it works out to be like 24 minutes or oh maybe it's even less than that i don't remember yeah there's usually a shot isn't gonna matter here or there because usually, you know, you maybe you've added like a like a big giant pause before Fred blinks because he doesn't get the joke or something. <laughs> so things are made up there, and then there's always the uh, the number one standby of like you can just make the shot of Velma's house a second longer, and then the musical just go a little bit longer, and it just it's it's totally easy to make up footage with like established shots and stuff. Definitely. And, you know, and fade out, you know, shots of, you know, Scooby and Shaggy are hugging in the last shot of the episode. You just, all right, make that a second longer. And it always, you know, works out with the, you know, the crickets and stuff. And then the music is, the music person loves when you leave them big old giant holes of stuff where they can do their, all their stuff. Put another, the, the show's refrain or whatever at the end and stuff. So they aren't in a hurry to get to the end credit music. Sometimes it's a, the hard part about cutting a shot is now how do you bridge the gap? So sometimes, you know, you try to cut to, yeah, I don't know, a close-up of someone's face looking confused or something. It's a, it depends on the show. The, 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 the lucky thing about animation is, for the most part, they're wearing the exact same clothes in show four as they are in show 14 and show 24. So worst case scenario, you can use a shot from, you know, 10 shows ago in that spot. And then you can, you know, either get the layers and put a new background or sometimes it's just close enough that you can't even tell it's blue back there. There we go. It could be the van. It could be a building. It could be something else. Okay. So, yeah, you could do that. That's, that's one of the good things about animation is, you know. There's only there's very few episodes where, you know, the gang isn't wearing the exact same clothes. Except for the one show where they had the outfits. That was awesome. <laughs> they got those like leather motorcycle suits. Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah. And were there any challenges working on Scooby at all? Not any, you know, 
the most of the challenges come out of you know sometimes a studio because uh overseas studios do they farm out work sometimes they take on too much work and they'll farm it out and you've hired that studio to do what you you know your show because they did a demo and it looked really great you liked what they did with the characters but then they'll be too busy i guess to do that act or something so they'll farm it out to another studio that may be one of the ones you hated so now you're getting it that studio's work and then it comes you know now the animation is just terrible so it's more retakes you have to call there's more drawovers. Like if they just aren't getting the, what the face is, then the directors are going to have to like take a screen grab and read, you know, say no, his nose is this way instead of that way, and things. And it just sometimes causes more retakes and and that, you know, if you get, you know, the shot, you know, like a Scooby Show will usually have like 200 and something shots in it, but if you call a hundred shots as retakes, it's a lot more trouble than if you called like 25 so it just depends it depends depends on the you know maybe the studio and then the, you know the, the, the scheduling too because you know now this show is way harder than the last show but you have just as long to do it so it's a big you know crunch to try to get all the shots called in and sometimes we'll call take eight something you know this will be the eighth time they've done this shot and they still haven't got it so, you know, you either have to live with it or take your chances on one more take or maybe go back to the fourth one because that was as best as you got so far. And then just stick with that. And, you know, just sort of pick your battles. Fair enough. And what was your favorite Scooby project to work on out of the ones that you had edited? Uh, like I was talking about earlier, but I really liked the Scooby Rock and Roll Mystery because that one I really got to work with the, the director, producer, and we added in the animatics, we kind of added the storyline of, because um, I don't think it was really there or fully realized in the script was the, um, we have to work together as a team to beat this person, the, to, you know, to catch the witch and to save the world. And, you know, and, and not only did the gangs have to work together, because, you know, you have Sco the Scooby gang is all sort of infighting because Fred's jealous of Daphne liking, you know, Paul Stanley and 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 all that's kind of going on. But then Kiss is having inner things, too, because Paul Stanley's trying to showboat and he ends up getting like knocked out by the witch. So so we kind of built like an arc where the the two the two gangs have to work together amongst themselves and then to finally win at the end that all both the gangs have to work together so that that was kind of fun we kind of had to got to add like sort of a b plot to the movie not only was it about the witch and about all that kind of stuff like that but it was about teamwork and you know getting along with your the people you're supposed to get along with to get the job done and you mentioned a few, but do you have any other fun behind-the-scenes stories for many Scooby projects? It was always fun with on um, like Halloween. You know, members of the crew would come in dressed as like Fred or Daphne or something like that. That was fun. I remember there was a, I think he was the art director for season one. He for Halloween, I think he dressed as Fred and he painted his minivan 
to look like the mystery machine. So everyone was going out in the parking lot and taking pictures with it and stuff. That was fun. Awesome. And then, yeah, and the, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed all the, because if you watch Mystery Incorporated, there's, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of, of references to other things. Like there's, you know, uh, there's the Dylan and and uh, Brenda that show up in a bunch of episodes. They they look like they're from the 90210 show because Dylan and Brenda were in 90210. Did you catch that? I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, they were. They were. They were the. I think they were getting judged by the the. You will all be judged. It was like then they were in that, and I think they were they were caught on the the. Ferris wheel with the manticore. No, was it the manticore? Yeah. But it was Dylan and Brenda, and they're two characters that are from Beverly Hills 90210. And then there was the Shining episode where they went to that lodge up in the. Did you see that? They Did you recognize that one? I did recognize that one, yeah. Scooby's doing the hallway, and then he opens the, the door, and Shaggy's in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I didn't, I don't even remember it, but I was watching the one with the. Uh, what was it called the, with the dandy highway man oh yeah yeah and there was the one guy in the background at the beginning when they're like there was like all the women are missing and the one guy's like going marcia 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 so it's like a <laughs> it's like a brady bunch thing just randomly and then the the other thing was funny is we had to there's a couple episodes uh there's a there's a thing it's called uh broadcast standards and practices i think bsnp i think it is and they're they're the ones that make sure you every time you get in the van you put on the seatbelts. You probably noticed that like every single time they have to put on the seatbelts. And also there was like the Danny Highwayman. That's what made me think about it. We had to put in the flashback that he put a helmet inside of his three corner hat <laughs> because you have to have, wear a helmet if you ride a motorcycle, even if it's a cartoon. Okay. And if you watch and if you watch the Ska Zombies one. We had to put in the flashbacks that they put helmets in their their zombie masks too. Oh, that's fantastic! And that show the 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 the, the um the ska zombie one. Those are two. The the song that's in it is is was written by like a legend, the um the the leader of the a band called the Eng English Beat. I forgot his name. But that, that's basically like an Eng, a new English beat song that was like written for the show. So people are from like the 80s that used to be into ska and stuff like that. Those That one, and he also wrote the Hex Girls song too. Awesome. But those are like, you know, that's like, wow. Like a legend wrote two brand new songs that are only in a Scooby-Doo thing. And what was it like to end up working on a show that you had grown up watching? Oh, it was totally fun. Well, I was, you know, it's like, it doesn't feel like I'm really working because I'm just, you know, I always tell people like, you know, everyone's like, I, 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 I like watch cartoons all day. And then sometimes I'll watch them at night and my wife is like, what are you doing? Don't you see enough <laughs> cartoons all day? I'm like, I didn't work on this one. This one's cool. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it was very, a very weird path I took to get here, but, but it was, it's, it's good awesome. and it's been very it's been very good to me i've been very fortunate that i haven't had too you know more than a couple months here or there off in the past you know 20 21 years or something 
after the Sony closed down their animation division, the children's animation, then there was a few scary months there before I went to it a couple other places and eventually ended up at Warner. But that's why I've been so faithful to Warner. I've been offered other things, but I don't, I don't go anywhere because, you know, they've been really good to me. They've been, they've given me, they, you know, this will end and they'll put me in another thing or this will end and they'll give me like something that tied me, you know, like a part of another thing. Like when I was, you know, when, uh, when Young Justice season three ended, then they had me do animatics for a few Looney Tunes episodes while I was waiting for the, for the, the other shows to start up and stuff like that. Why do you think that a cartoon like Scooby-Doo about a mystery-solving dog has held up for over 50 years now? Um, I think it's just it's just a, the fun dynamic between the characters and it's like a good you know premise about, you know, like good versus evil and and you know every single show the the creators kind of take a different spin on it like mystery incorporated is sort of the same but different than the original series cuz you know like you know cuz fred is like addicted to traps and you know and scooby doo and 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 shaggy kind of have like a a weird sort of love affair that breaks up like you know velma and shaggy and and then, you know, and Daphne's in love with Fred, but she doesn't want to be. And it's like, it's, they always kind of add little, little chain tweaks to it. There's been a lot of imitation Scooby-Doo's, but they never really hang out, you know, hung around for as long. There's, you know, like, there's that one episode with the, um, where Scooby gets sick and goes to that mystery solvers convention. And there's all those people, all those other teams that were, sort of the copycats yeah like the jabberjaw and the funky phantom and and what's captain caveman and was it uh speed buggy and stuff and they were all kind of they all tried to sort of capture that formula but that never none of them ever sort of really worked out until until recently i think the um the mike tyson mysteries that we also do i think that hit a scooby-doo chord that people really kind of like it's kind of like the scooby-doo for like 20 year olds because it's all about you know potty potty humor and and uh pot jokes <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the adult swim version of scooby-doo definitely i think that covers all of the questions that i had for you is there anything else that you wanted to add at all or anything else you wanted to chat about i don't know i think i'm i think i've worn out my welcome i guess <laughs> <laughs> not at all <laughs> yeah i was like the scooby guy for a long time and then uh i think my reputation preceded me and the producer I'm working with now found out I was really good with solving effects problems and stuff. So I kind of got, I had hit a, a dead spot in Scooby cause I did the, um, I worked on the pilot of what was the Scooby-Doo one that looked weird. Uh, be cool Scooby-Doo. That's it. Yeah. The, the other one. I did the, I worked on the pilot for that, but then as they're waiting for the, I think that was when it happened. 
as they were waiting for like approvals and stuff to move along, I, I ended up uh, getting stolen by the, all the Batman people. And I've kind of been uh, doing Batman, Superman stuff ever since. Like I did all the, there's the Batman Unlimiteds I did. And then I did uh, Justice League Action. Have you ever watched that? That's really good. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's like a kind of a, it's kind of the halfway point between super serious uh, Justice League and uh, Teen Titans Go. It's kind of like halfway serious. And then, <laughs> yeah, and then I just finished before I, uh, back in, I think back in, it was back in January, I think we finished... Uh, I worked on Young Justice season three, so that yeah, that was kind of fun. Uh, that was a lot of work, but it was fun, and it, it turned out really great. My son ended up watching it; he said he really loved it. Awesome, cool. And just before we end here, do you have any recent projects that you'd like to promote, or social media channels, or places where people can find you? Oh well, the the at the the DC was a fandom they called they re- announced a. Uh, Batman Man or Superman Man of Tomorrow is I think out now or is it coming out this month? I think it's coming out in September. And there's a cool version at um, Best Buy where you can get like a little minifigure of uh, of parasites included with it. It's kind of the cool version that's in the movie. And then I think I think it's the beginning of next year. Uh, Batman Soul of the Dragon I worked on with uh, it's. Uh, Bruce Tim and uh, Sam Liu, they were the producers on that. So that was like my first time working with those guys. I worked on with Bruce Tim on an animatic a bunch of years ago, but this is the first time doing like final picture and stuff like that, and that was really fun. And then um, I know a couple other things kind of got sort of mentioned that I'm working on. They're the, I think they uh, the there's two more batman things that are coming out next year that i worked on and yeah it's fun everyone check out young justice season three that was fun and then also it's spectacular spider-man is really great too it's uh i think it's uh, uh ign.com or whatever did listed it as the second best superhero cartoon ever made right after uh batman the animated series which was back in the 90s. Awesome. And then, so, yeah, there you go. Just, yeah, you can check me out. Just type in Bruce King, the IMDb, and you can see my uh, laundry list of stuff. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today, Bruce. Oh, no problem. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I said that at the beginning. It's like a bookend. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It was great to chat to you with a semi-technical conversation, too. Yeah, hopefully we didn't bore too many people with all the crazy. But, you know, if they're listening, then it might give them more a peek into what happens behind the scenes. Because, you know, a lot of people probably don't think of all the stuff that... Because every time like, if I meet someone at a party or whatever, like, oh, do you draw? I'm like, wow, there's way more to animation than just the people that draw the stuff. Definitely. And that concludes today's episode. Another huge thank you to Bruce King for taking the time out to do the interview. For more groovy content, be sure to check at UnmaskedSD on Twitter. 
at Unmasked SD Podcast on Instagram or at unmaskedsdpodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook under the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. Thanks for listening, and keep an ear out for the next episode. Scooby-Doo-Bee-Doo!